in a cabin with a bunch of teenagers when it's 90 degrees in McCall. All right, it's just brutal, suffering for Jesus. Uh, we have one more week for our envelopes, and I noticed on the board out there that there's quite a few left, and so I'm going to take this time to just do a few more here in the crowd and get you pumped up for it as you go out today. We still have some teens who want to go to camp tomorrow who need your help. And you say, well, their parents should help them. Well, their parents are trying to help them, but the cost of camp, as I said last week, is bigger than it was when you were a kid and when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, you'd go to youth camp for like 35 bucks. And we would leave on Sunday night after church because we did not want to miss a church service. And we would drive all night from Oklahoma City to Rosebud, Arkansas. And if you've never been to Rosebud, Arkansas, has anybody ever been to Rosebud, Arkansas? Besides these two, have you been there? Uh, it is a blip on the map, I'll tell you that. And most of the time, on the all-night drive, they planned it all night because one of the buses would break down. And then it would take a couple hours for it to get fixed. And then we finally get there in the morning. And we'd have camp at $35 for the whole week. Now it's like, what is it, 200 and 260 And if you want to go whitewater rafting, it's more on top of that. Uh, but lives are changed. And uh, it continues to be the number one thing in the formation of young people to serve God. And so here we go. Uh, so if you choose an envelope from me, uh, Cole will give it to you, and you just fill it with whatever it says and put it back on the board or give it to Melissa out there after the service. $7. Who would give $7 to camp? We've got to take it right there. Uh, $14. $14 right here. Thank you. I don't want to be out of breath. Uh, $27. Who's got $27? Going once, going twice. Oh, we got one back there. $34. $34 right back here. Last one I've got. You've been just chopping at the bit. $47 to this man right here. Thank you very much for your help, everybody. You did a great job. A uh, couple things to pray for. Joe Larea uh, was in the hospital last night, hospitalized. Yeah, to be praying for his health. Uh, he's been very weak lately, and, and I know his family would appreciate that, Sheila especially. And also, if you would pray for our little Sophie. She's really sick as well today. And it came in in the middle of the night with a really high fever. And to be praying for her and for Amy. And they were both were really bummed out. Uh, I don't know if they cared about church, but they didn't want to miss the picnic today. And Sophie uh, sent me a Marco Polo this morning. Dad, I really want to come to church. And then right after that, she threw up again. So it, it didn't work out. Yeah, but be praying for them. And uh, I know that I just talked about throwing up, but we do have a picnic afterwards. <laughs> and so it's probably not the best segue. I probably need to go back to segue school on that one. But we have a delicious pulled pork dinner, and there is tons of pulled pork over there. So even if you didn't know about it, you didn't bring anything, come over and eat with us, and we're going to have a great time together. I saw baked beans over there, and I saw some desserts and chips and all sorts of things. And so come over and do that with us. And then <clears throat> don't forget today is the last day to nominate, <coughs> excuse me, to nominate someone uh, for the deacon and officer election uh, for next Sunday. And if you just hand that to uh, someone out in the lobby after the service, uh, the forums are at Connection Point. And if you'd like to nominate somebody, please, today, if you do that, 
Next Sunday night at 5.30, we're going to have a special communion service, and then we have our annual church meeting, and I hope that you can come and be a part of it, and we're looking forward to what God has for us. Well, it's great to be here this morning on the first Sunday in July, and I know that it is I Love America weekend, and we are headed this morning to the small Bible book of Titus. Titus is in the New Testament. It's only three chapters long. And it was originally a letter that was sent to uh, a young man named Titus by Paul, who was a missionary. And we're going to read there this morning as we get started. Uh, from time to time on Sunday mornings, <clears throat> I like to do a verse-by-verse -verse study through the Scripture just to keep us exposed to that expository style of preaching. And just about every Sunday, we take a passage and we work our way through a passage no matter what our topic is. But sometimes I think it's good to take a whole book and to get it in the context of Scripture. And if you like that verse-by-verse -verse teaching, come on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. Thank you. You're the bomb. I love this guy. How does he even know how to do that? What a guy. I know what it is. He's done public speaking before. Yeah. So he knows all about that. Thank you very much. Uh, but on Wednesday nights, we go verse by verse, not just through books of the Bible, but through the whole Bible. And so we're right now in 2 Samuel, and so we still got a long way to go. And if you like that kind of teaching, come this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and we're going to be around the Word of God once again. So here we go, Titus now. And we're going to start with this series uh, here for the month of July to Titus. And I want to just read verses 1 through 3 as we get started. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Now, if you don't get anything else out of the message today, that one verse would be enough for you to take home. Uh, verse 2. One of the greatest verses anywhere in the New Testament, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. It gives us the assurance of where our salvation comes from. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching. So God has exposed his word through preaching. Now there are all sorts of ways to get the gospel out, and there are all sorts of methods that God could use, could have used to get the gospel out, but the one that he chose was preaching. It's the strangest thing. 1 Corinthians 1 said that preaching is like foolishness to those who don't want to hear the truth. They make fun of people who preach, and for good reasons sometimes, because we say things backward, we mess things up. You know, by the foolishness of preaching, the gospel is revealed. And it says, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. So God, through Jesus Christ, had committed the gospel to Paul to give out. And now he has a word for this young man, Titus, about how Titus can continue in the ministry Paul had started. And so let's pray together. And we will begin today. Father, thank you 
once again for your word. We thank you for this book of Titus. We thank you that as we talked about in life groups this morning, that the word of God is alive. It is quick, it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it still pierces hearts and divides asunder uh, where our soul and our spirit meet. Things within us that we cannot even discern are figured out by your word. And I pray that you would help us as we bring our minds and our hearts around it today, that it would come alive in us once again. Thank you for each one who's here. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been around long, and I'm looking around, some of you have been around long, okay? And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, I'm looking around, and there's some of you who've been around for a long time. And it seems that there have been quite a few generations of people who have claimed to live in the most difficult time in human history, okay? You've heard people say that. That was the most difficult time in human history. Yeah, they talk about the time of, of the Dust Bowl. Uh, there are people who say that about our current culture. And they say it while riding in an air-conditioned car, uh, living in a sturdy house, and sipping on a Starbucks. Okay, so if you said that 2017 is the hardest time in human history, you need to read some history books, okay? Or you could just get around some people who have white hair or no hair in this room and let them tell you some stories. Uh, because this is not the most difficult time in human history in spite of what your teacher told you at school or at the university and in spite of what they told you you are supposed to receive as a human being on the earth. Okay, just not to get on a soapbox. Uh, but certainly the people who lived through the world wars could make that claim. It was a very difficult time through either of the world wars in many places around the globe. History tells us that the time period in which Paul wrote to Titus was one of the most difficult in human experience. Christians were being tortured for their faith on a daily basis. The emperor was a deranged man named Nero who used the heads of Christians as lampposts to light the city at night. That's a difficult time. Now, that was an extremely difficult era for the spread of the gospel, and yet it was the time when the gospel spread the most uh, because persecution is what makes the movement that Jesus started to thrive so rapidly. Persecution brings incredible growth to churches, and that's why many churches in the United States are not growing. They're going the other direction because we don't face any hardship or persecution. Uh, some churches, the hardest decision is, you know, what's going to go on the bulletin this week? Or what color of carpet are we going to have in certain rooms? And so we don't have it quite as hard as they did. There have been quite a few times in human history where things were rough. Uh, the whole Dark Ages thing was, well, dark. I mean, <laughs> that's why they called it the Dark Ages. The, the wilderness wandering wasn't easy. I mean, everybody died except for Joshua and Caleb. So you could say that was a pretty rough time. Uh, for my money, perhaps the worst era ever was the time of the flood when the entire population of the earth dropped to eight people with just Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives because the wickedness of man was great in the eyes of the Lord. But you know, Paul was writing to Titus in 65 A.D., which 
as I said, was certainly a rough time period to live for God, as Paul was writing to Titus to help him understand, that this is kind of the theme of the whole book, that sound doctrine leads to sound living. Okay, so we'll be talking about that in the, in the coming weeks, but just tell you up front, sound doctrine leads to sound living. Because here's why. People live the things that they believe. Right? Now, there's a lot of people who say, I believe this and I believe this, but they don't actually live it. Could I tell you what you believe? You believe what your life looks like. That's what you believe. Your doctrine is not what you say you believe. Your doctrine is what you live. And so Paul's trying to help Titus with this, this whole thing of how, hey, we've got to have sound doctrine because we want sound living. We're going to look at chapter 1 this morning. The notes are provided in your bulletin, and we're going to try to do it in a, in a very simple way, and yet the Word of God sometimes goes very deep on us, and the Holy Spirit takes it and uh, just applies it to our lives. And so let's look here at chapter 1. Our theme is from verse number 5. There's a phrase in verse number 5 where it says, the things that are wanting. The things that are wanting. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, let's begin by talking about the sender of the letter. We already read verses 1 through 3. The sender of the letter we mentioned was Paul, and as Paul drew near to the end of his life, he invested heavily in young men who were ready to serve God with great passion. And they just needed some guidance, and they just needed some grace, and they just needed somebody to come alongside of them and show them how living for God was supposed to work. There were no guidebooks. Now, many of the New Testament books had not even been put on paper yet, much less compiled into one document that you could go buy at a bookstore. So these young men needed instruction. And by the way, young people still need instruction today. They still need some person to teach them. Because if a person does not teach them, then something else will teach them. And there are a lot of something else's out there. We're going to talk about that instruction uh, from chapter 2 next week. And so come for that uh, as we get into a little further into the book of Titus. So the sender is the Apostle Paul. That's pretty easy. Point one is already done. That's easy, right? You guys are like, we're going to be out by 1150 today. Yeah, okay, so number two, the receiver. So the sender is Paul. The receiver is Titus. Okay, his name's Titus, the receiver. That's why the book's called Titus. Now, Paul also wrote to a young man named Timothy. That's to your left in the Bible there. In fact, there were uh, two letters to Timothy included in Scripture. And we know quite a bit about Timothy. We know who his mother was. We know who his grandmother was. We know what city he was from. We know where Paul met him. We know lots of things about Timothy. With Titus, we don't know as much. But we do know some things. And so let me give you a short summary on what we know about Titus. Okay? Uh, Titus was a Greek, and he was from Antioch. Now, the thing about Antioch that stands out in Scripture, Antioch was the first place in all of world history where the people who were believers were called Christians. It's in Acts chapter 11. It's the first place they ever called them Christians. And they were actually making fun of them when they called them that. 
They had a, so you study that out in Acts chapter 11. So he's a Greek, he's from Antioch. Uh, he probably was a Greek student. Now, back then they called students scholars. Okay? Now, today it's kind of weird because when we say somebody's a scholar, we act like they're an authority on something. Back then, was a, scho- a scholar was just somebody who studied. Okay? So he was a scholar, and he studied philosophy and poetry, and there were a lot of Greeks who were studying these things back then. It's likely that Paul led Titus to Christ himself, And at that point, he abandoned his Greek studies to follow Paul and to travel with him. And we know that that Titus did accompany Paul uh, to a council in Jerusalem in 49 AD. So if you're studying the history of this, in 49 AD, there was a council in Jerusalem, and Paul went to the council, and he took Titus with him. Now, this was the council. If you've ever read about this council in Acts 15, they were trying to figure out what do the Gentiles need to do to be Christians? Right? What is it that Gentiles need to do to be Christians? And everybody had these ideas. And some of the apostles said, listen, if they want to be Christians, they've got to keep the law. And uh, Peter said, uh, well, we're Christians and we didn't keep the law. So that one's kind of out. And another guy said, well, if they want to be Christians, all the men need to be circumcised. And I kind of brought that one to the table and said, well, that's Jewish too, and that's part of our law, and it doesn't seem like we should have to do that. Somebody's car is going off. Thing. Check your pocket. Somebody pushing on your button right now. Uh, Sir, you have to be circumcised. And then they said, uh, you can't eat meat that was offered to an idol. And they brought up all these things. And if you've ever read Acts 15, James, the brother of Jesus, stood up and he has this great quote, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, we should not do anything to make it harder for Gentiles to come to Jesus. We should just say, Jesus died on the cross, come to the cross, repent of your sins, and believe in him. And so they said, don't put anything in their way. But when Titus got to the council, okay, some of the Jews came up to Paul and there was a whisper campaign. They're like, who's that kid with you? That's Titus. And where's he from? Well, he's, he's from Antioch. And is he a Jew? No, he's a Greek. He needs to be circumcised. They're having this conversation at a church council. Okay? Can you imagine this? If I'm walking up to other men at a church council, they're going, hey, dude, are you circumcised? <laughs> That'd be weird, right? It's very weird. But this happened in the first century. So they're having this church council, and they're asking each other if these teenage boys have been circumcised, and they ask the kids, and and Titus, uh, he kind of got thrown into this mix, and it was a really rough time for everybody involved. And uh, they were trying to force Titus to be circumcised so that he could become a follower of Jesus. And Paul refused. He said, Titus does not have to become circumcised to be a Christian Jesus died for him on the cross. And this is talked about in Galatians 2. So that's 49 A.D. Now, in 56 A.D., Paul sent Titus from the city of Ephesus to Corinth so that he could minister to the problems in the church there at Corinth. And you can read all about that in 2 Corinthians. It's all chapter 7, 8, 9. It's all through there. Now, in the book of Titus, We understand that this last thing that happened 
that Paul had left his friend Titus and his disciple Titus in Crete for a very specific reason. And so this letter is now coming from Paul to Titus because Titus is still on the island of Crete. And Paul's not there. He's gone. He's vamoosed. He's out of the way. And Titus is still there. And so he gets this letter. Now our life groups this morning talked about where Crete is uh, in geography and kind of figured all that out. Has anybody in this room ever been to Crete before? All right, so these two right here have been to Crete. And, uh, and does anybody else know where Crete is? Anybody you guys know where Crete is? Yeah, where is it? Go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's right down below Greece, right? Has anybody ever been to Greece? These two have been to Greece, okay. Uh, it's in the Mediterranean. Has anybody ever been in the Mediterranean? Okay, we've got a few, a few more on that one. Uh, so it's down below there. It's an island. And why in the world would this island in the first century stand out as this huge place of ministry? Here's why. Because Crete in the first century was the crossroads of all three major continents. So people from Asia were coming through Crete in the Mediterranean. People from Europe were coming down through Crete as they went to other places. People from Africa were coming up through Crete as they went to other places. Crete was the crossroads of the first century world. And now Titus is there, and this letter is to him. He's the recipient. So we've got number one down, number two down. Let's talk about number three. Number three is the cause. And we need to read a little more here. He had said in verse four to Titus, my own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Now look at this. For this cause... This is how we know it's the cause, because it says it right there. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou should set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And then in verses 6 through 9, it goes into the biblical qualifications for an elder. And they're also called pastors and bishops, same qualifications. Uh, here they are. If any be blameless, that doesn't mean that he's sinless. It means he's blameless. Okay? It means that nobody from the world could come and uh, give an accusation against him. Uh, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. And by the way, that end of verse 6 has been the roughest one on all pastors throughout the centuries. Uh, because people expect pastors' kids to be angels. And here's what we have found out about pastors' kids through the centuries. They are just as much sinners as anybody else. Okay, so, but pastors are supposed to try to keep their kids from rioting. Good luck on that. <laughs> Verse 7. Uh, for a bishop must be blameless. So that's another term. Elder, bishop, pastor, all the same guy. As the steward of God. That means he's been given a stewardship by God. Not self-willed. Not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, that means he doesn't get in fistfights all the time, not given to filthy lucre, means he's not using Christianity just to make money, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. 
holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now the gainsayers were these people in the first century and throughout time who have tried to use Christianity as a moneymaker. In the first century it was so they could have gold and silver and they could buy uh, some more meat, they could get more houses. In the 21st century it's so that they can have gulf streams and fly all over the world on God's dime. Okay, that's basically what it is. And I'm not going to throw any names out there, but if you turn on your television to the religious channel, you're going to see quite a few of them. Okay, no names. Some of them are really good people. I'm not their judge. But listen, not many pastors need $14 million houses or gulf streams. Okay, just, just throwing that out there. So yeah, that may have been who it was talking to in Titus chapter 1. But the cause, so, so why did Paul leave Titus in Crete? Well, Paul had left Titus in Crete to accomplish the things that he had been un unable to do because he was hurried away from the island. He had to leave Crete faster than he wanted to. And he left Titus there specifically to set in order the things that are wanting. Now, this has to be done in every institution from time to time. In the home, every once in a while, there has to be a family meeting to set things in order. In the local church, things have to be set in order from time to time. And if we get off track and if we get off course, God sometimes delivers this message, hey, you need to get back where you're supposed to be and set things in order that are wanting. We have to make sure that we are following the purposes that Jesus established for the gathering that he started. Those purposes are given to us in the great commandment and the great commission. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's worship. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's ministry. Go into all the world. That's evangelism. Teach them to observe all things. That's discipleship. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's fellowship, bringing them into the church and then sending them out under the commission. So we all need to be reminded of the basics from time to time. Why are we here? What's the cause? What's the reason to even be at church? And so God wants us sometimes to set those things in order. Uh, in the institution of government, there are things that need to be set in order, whether it's in our city government or state government, federal government. I was reading the other day, uh, in 2015, the federal government just I'll just give you a few of these. Maybe you've seen these. In 2015, the federal government paid $150,000 for yoga classes for federal employees. $188,000 was spent on a study to determine why Americans don't want to use the metric system. No, it really was. Right, by the way, how many of you don't like to use the metric system? Okay, so you're part of the study right there. Uh, now, this is one of my favorites. $350,000 was allocated for a study on why the 1972 video game Pong was successful. No, really. Uh, $850,000 was spent to televise a cricket game in Afghanistan. That's not crickets like crickets. That's like cricket like with a wicket. Have you guys, anybody ever played cricket before? 
I'm going to have to educate you before I even tell this. But cricket's a game that they play in England and India and all over the old British Empire. Uh, but they were going to want to televise this game in Afghanistan to encourage young men not to be terrorists, even though none of the young men who were targeted owned televisions. I don't know. Uh, $853,000 was awarded to community colleges to create a curriculum on winemaking. $15 million was spent, I love this one, well, actually, I hate it, but $15 million was spent on a study to determine the effectiveness of golf equipment in space. Because don't you, how, you guys were alive when the guy hit the golf ball on the moon? You guys remember seeing that? Yeah, so they were really studying that out. Uh, $43 million was spent to build a compressed natural gas fueling station in Afghanistan, even though none of the cars there run on compressed natural gas. And the inspector general determined that the Defense Department never did a feasibility study before moving forward with the project. Uh, there was $283,500 spent on the Department of Defense birdwatching fund. Uh, $3.1 billion on vacation for federal employees who were placed on administrative leave. That means that they did something wrong, they got placed on administrative leave, and then they got a paid vacation. Uh, a study, this, this one is going to blow your mind, a study to determine what bugs do near a light bulb cost $65,473. Now, how many of you probably could have told them what bugs do near a light bulb? Did you figure that one out? This list goes on and on and on. Uh, and I'm not going to give you any more for sake of time. But, you know, how many of you would agree that from time to time, things need to be set in order? Uh, the way that we budget as a nation needs to be set in order. Because politicians tell us that there are cuts in these programs and it's going to be horrible and people are going to die and when you actually go through the numbers, it wasn't a cut. It increased from the year before. It just didn't increase as much as they wanted it to. And so they called it a cut and said people are going to die. And I'm telling you what, there is nothing more frustrating as, as an American than when you realize as a citizen that things need to be set in order that are wanting. And if you read the newspaper and you watch the news, yeah, you just get so frustrated by this stuff. I'll tell you this. Our founders, if you read their documents these next couple of days, just go back and read the Declaration of Independence and read the Constitution and read the writings of, of Jefferson and Madison and Washington and some of the early guys. You know what they formed our system to do? To set in order the things that were wanting in the British government. They were trying to set up a system where things would actually work. And now, 200 and however many years later, 200 and how many years are we? 241 years later, things are in some places pretty messed up. And they need to be set in order again. And so this happens in every institution. And from time to time, we need things to be set in order because otherwise we get way off track whether in our personal lives or our homes or church in the government. And Paul told Titus to set in order the things that are wanting. 
You know, it's harder than it sounds. If you have ever tried to set some things in order, you have discovered that there are challenges. Right? There are great challenges to trying to set things in order. Have you ever tried to clean a three-year-old's room while the three-year-old was in the room? It's brutal. Uh, you can't set things in order because the minute you put something on the shelf, two things come off the shelf. The minute you put something in the toy tub, two things come out of the toy tub. And so what you have to do is get rid of the three-year-old to set the three-year-old's room in order. That's why so many people want to just get rid of the whole federal government and start over. Not advocating that, but it may be an idea. Get all the three-year-olds out of the room. Um, so they, they're trying to set these things in order. Uh, I've seen parents who have given up on trying to set things in order in the home because the challenges were too great. I've got a lot of pastor friends who have walked away from churches after two years or three years because the challenges were bigger than they'd assumed. And they thought, we're just going to go in and fix this. And it doesn't always happen that way. And we've all seen people seek election for political office because they're going to go and change things. And they're going to cut the wasteful spending. And they're going to get back to the basics. And they're going to get Congress back on track in whatever it is as they say. And I'm telling you, it is harder than it sounds. It is incredibly difficult to do it. And yes, we continue to live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And as we celebrate Independence Day this Tuesday, our nation's birthday, we have many things to be grateful for. But we continue to have issues that need set in order. There are some huge challenges that we face as a country. And we need to pray together that our leaders can set the things in order that are wanting. When things don't get set in order, lives fall apart. And families fall apart. And churches die. And governments fail. And so this motto that Paul gave to Titus is a big deal. It's a great cause. And if you're going to try to set things in order in any arena... You can be prepared for number four today. The opposition. The opposition. If you are down in the arena trying to set things in order, prepare to have all sorts of opposition. Prepare to have all sorts of critics. Paul wanted Titus to get church leaders going in every cell group of believers on the island of Crete, in every house church, in every meeting place, he wanted them to make sure that those elders, those pastors or bishops, as we mentioned, that they were qualified to lead God's people and that, that everybody knew they were men just like everybody else and there was nothing special about them and they weren't any less sinners than anybody else. But they needed to have sound doctrine and they needed to have sound testimonies because there's a great opposition. Let's read about it in verse number 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Okay, that means especially the Jews, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses. That means they take away house churches that are being started 
and they take the whole thing away. Subvert whole houses. Teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. So they're talking house churches into leaving the Christian faith to come into their branch of faith so that they can make money off them. And by the way, every major cult that has ever been started on planet Earth was done for two reasons, power and money. Power and money. You can follow the trail, and that's what every one of them has been started for. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, this is what their prophet said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Now, you know what a slow belly is? That's a lazy glutton. That's somebody who goes to Golden Corral the last 30 minutes of the lunch hour and then stays through dinner. All right? So they go and they get the lunch and they get the salad and they get all checked in and then the dinner food comes out and they keep hanging and by like 8.30 at night they're comatose. Okay? The, the food has got to them. Slow bellies. That's what it's talking about. Now look what he says. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. That was our topic in life groups this morning. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Now look at verse 16. This is so powerful. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. And so Paul tells Titus, you watch out for the people who profess that they know God, but they never show up in the arena living for God. They never care about actually doing what God has to say. They profess that they know God, but in works, they deny him. And we have to be aware of that, not only in other people, we have to be aware of that in our own lives. You know, every society has people who will not submit themselves to God's authority in this life. Even though every knee is going to bow someday, they're not going to submit here. And Crete was full of people who didn't want to hear God's truth. They just wanted to use their version of truth to their own advantage. I can tell you that the climate of humanity has not changed since 65 AD. Though we are supposedly so advanced and educated and tolerant, we have the same personalities and the same problems they had, hate, had back then because people hate God's truth. They hate it. There is opposition to following Jesus. You know, even though there are challenges and opposition, we are called and empowered to move forward in following God's purposes. Things that are wanting are not easy to attack, but they are worth every ounce of our effort. You will never regret the energy that you put into building your family around God's truth. You will never regret the investments that you make into eternity through Christ's body, the local church. But you should be prepared for opposition. And that brings us to today's big truth as we finish up the message. 
Until Jesus returns, there will always be things to do. We've never arrived. We should always be busy for God. We don't ever get to a point in our lives where we say, you know what? I've finished my work for God. Okay? Uh, until the trumpet sounds, until we see Christ, we don't get to that point, and we keep working, and we keep setting things in order. And I, I find in my life that every once in a while, maybe once a month, or once every six months, or once a year, my life needs to be set back in order. All right? My staff knows that about once a month, my desk gets cleaned up. Right, it just finally gets cleaned up, and all of a sudden I say, that's all I can stand, and I can stand no more. Maybe it's every six weeks, okay, uh, or seven weeks, but it's, it's every once in a while. And it happened, and I say, that's it, and uh, we pull out everything, and we sort it, not we, I do, and then uh, get the dust drag and actually dust and try to set things in order. Now, if you're that way about visceral order, you've got to be that way about spiritual order. You've got to be that way about the cobwebs that start growing in your soul. You've got to be that way about the weeds that start cropping up in your spiritual life. I love my family, and if I'm going to continue to apply myself in leading them to serve God, there's going to be some challenges, but there's going to be everlasting rewards. And the same thing for the church. The Bible says in Ephesians that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. And I love the local church. If I minister in God's spirit, there will always be everlasting rewards. Now let me finish by saying this today. I also love America. I love our flag. I love what our history stands for. I love the, the freedom we have in this land. I love the patriots who have given everything for this land. You know, no matter how much energy we put into shaping America to be a certain way, America will never be the hope of the world. Jesus and the local church, scripturally, are the hope of the world. And there are things that we have to do as Christians that are much more important than watching hours and hours of media every day about how bad things are in America. There are much more important things we have to do as believers than to read every post about what's wrong with America and to follow what's going on with every politician. I already said we should be good citizens. We should pray for our leaders. We should vote. We should be concerned with our neighbors. We should help in our communities. But the hope of the world is Jesus Christ. The hope of the world is the local church. The Bible says in Colossians 1, this may floor you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are the hope of the world. If you have Jesus Christ in your life, you are a vessel of hope to this world. Today's faith challenge is this. As the hope of the world, as a vessel of hope, as an ambassador of hope to this world, are you prepared to face the strong opposition in your cause of serving the Lord? If you step out to serve God, you're going to have some enemies. I tell you right up front, if you step out to serve God, the world will be your enemy. The Bible clearly says in 1 John 2, the world is the enemy of God. If you step out to serve God, the devil is going to be your enemy. You know who else is going to be your enemy? Your own flesh. 
The things that you want to do, you're going to find out that you don't do them. And the things that you don't want to do, you're going to find out that you once again ate that chocolate man ice cream. <laughs> even though you didn't want to, and even though you told yourself, I don't want to do this. And all of a sudden, the carton's empty. How did it happen? Because your flesh is your enemy. Sometimes other Christians will be your enemy. Sometimes people in your own family will be your enemy. I'm telling you this. Don't quit because of the opposition. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And Paul told Titus, set in order the things that are wanting. The Spirit of God in your life right now may be telling you in some arena, in some focus of your life, in some role that you have, that there's something that needs to be set in order. It might be as simple as what Pastor Cole mentioned earlier in the service. You don't have a daily walk with God. That needs to be set in order. I'm telling you, there are so many wonderful things. Uh, there's a, a, an app on your phone or your tablet called YouVersion. It's got hundreds of Bible reading plans. You can read God's Word every day. You can even have it read to you uh, aloud on audio. There are apps for being a, a prayer partner. I use one called Prayer Prompter. There are all sorts of things you can do. You can make a notebook. You can make a list. You can have a prayer partner. But if you don't have a personal walk with God every day, that needs to be set in order. Maybe it's something in your family that God spoke to you today, and I don't even know. I, I don't know what your situation is, but maybe God said to you, you know that thing? It needs to be set in order. You know that thing you're doing that nobody else knows about? You need to get that figured out. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your church ministry. Maybe it's a citizen. I don't know what it is, but I know this. After hearing a biblical message where we have covered a uh, not uh, a book of the Bible yet, but a chapter of the Bible, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking because the Word of God does not return void. And the Spirit of God is alive and well and working in our hearts. And let's close the service today by allowing each of us to go into our hearts and into our soul and to commit whatever it is that God's speaking to us about and say, God, this week, I'm going to set it in order. I know there's going to be opposition I know there's going to be upheaval. I know it's going to be hard, but I'm going to step out and do what you've called me to do. Let's bow together. God, in each of our hearts right now, the Holy Spirit is saying something. To some, you are speaking that there needs to be a relationship with you. There are people in this room who have never trusted you as Savior. They've never repented of their sins, turned from their way to yours. And it could be that you're speaking to those hearts right now. Give me your heart. Give me your life. I died on a wooden cross for you. I love you. Lord, you might be speaking to Christians who have been out of your will. They've been out of your way. They've been off the path. And maybe you're saying to Christians today, there's some things that need to be set in order because I love you and I want the best for you. And God, you're saying that your will is much better than our way. There may be dads 
or moms in this room or, or young people who need to set things in order in the home and to be willing to follow God in being the husband and wife and father and mother that we're supposed to be. God, we come to you as a church today and we say to you that if there are things that need to be set in order in this local church, that we give you the freedom and we give you the opportunity to work in us. Oh God, we don't want you outside of our church knocking and wanting to come in. We want you at the very heart and core of everything we do. We want your purposes to be the mandate for our lives. And we pray for our nation that you would bring revival to our nation through the hope of the world, Jesus Christ, and through us, the ambassadors of hope, that we might be able to offer hope of Jesus to our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones and our co-workers, even this week. We pray your guidance and your blessing on us as we exit this place now and go out into a world who needs you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.